So we began this series, The Great Deception, a couple of months ago, and uh, as followers of Jesus, the whole premise behind this series is that we are, our souls are at war with the world, which is our culture, uh, the flesh, which is our soul, and the devil, who is uh, the enemy of God. And we've taken time over the last few weeks to look at each of those three areas that we are at war with. The devil, uh, for Jesus, the devil is real. Uh, The devil's main goal or purpose is to kill and destroy. And Jesus called him the father of lies, and so his main strategy is lies and deception. The flesh, that's, that's our inner desires, that's our disordered desires. When our desires get out of whack, that's where it happens, it happens in the flesh. And then the world, uh, which we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, the world is our co- the cosmos, our, uh, the, our culture, excuse me, it, <coughs> wow. and we live, uh, the world is right now under the authority of the devil, and um, we live in a post-Christian society. No matter what we remember from when we were kids or what we think about uh, it should be, the reality is, is that we live in a post-Christian society. At the end of the service last week, I put up this question up on the screen, and it was part of our discussion questions, and it was, which of these has been the hardest for you? Because uh, in First John, the uh, Apostle John talked about the love of the world, and he says the world, this is what the world is about, the lust of the flesh, which is our appetites, the lust of the eyes, which is greed and discontentment, and the pride of life, which is really, I don't need God. And the Apostle John said in First John 2, 15, he says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. That simple. Everything in the world, John says, does not come from the Father. And again, the world is our disordered desires. And so, yes, appetites, um, that has to do with sexual immorality, yes, but it's other appetites. It's those hungers that we, things that we hunger for. It could be food. It could be material possessions, whatever it is you're hungry for. If that comes out of order and becomes more important to you than God, that would be the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes uh, is greed, it's discontentment, it's always wanting more, you're, you're never satisfied, and, and, and this isn't about striving for your best, because it's really good for us to strive for our best, absolutely, be the best that we can be, but it's when in the midst of that striving for our best, we are discontent where we are at right now. This is a great verse that Paul, that Paul um, gosh, I forgot to write it down, I think it's in Philippians, uh, but it's a familiar <laughs> verse for all of us where Paul says, I can do um, all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, a lot of times we take that and when we're in the midst of something really hard, we go, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we just, we're going to muster it up and we're going to do it. And well, we don't realize that in context, what Paul is talking about is contentment. 
Before that, Paul says, you know what? I've learned to be content when I have nothing, and I've learned to be content when I have had a lot. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That, that makes that seem and sound a little different when I remember the, the, contents, the context. Rather than having the lust of the eyes, which is greed and discontentment, it's like, you know what, if I'm poor right now, <laughs> I can be poor. And I can be content with being poor. And if I'm blessed and I have a great job and have lots of money, I can be content there, which I think is, might be harder. Content being, yeah, I'm going to really look at how I can bless other people. The pride of life, which is the I don't need God, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's not saying, it's not me saying I don't need God, it's more my actions, it's more the way I live my life, it's maybe the way I handle my finances, we're talking about finances. Um, when I do my budget, I just do what I want to do in my budget. What if in the doing of my budget, my first question was, God, what do you want me to do with the money that you have blessed me with? Is there somebody that needs some of this more than I do? I mean, you have blessed me here. Is there somebody that needs some of this more? Should I give more to somebody else in need? Or maybe it's relationships. God, this, uh, for you teenagers, <laughs> it, this girlfriend I have or this boyfriend I have, is this a relationship you want me to be a part of or is this one that is hindering my relationship with you? Or um, maybe it's buying a house or whatever. But the pride of life is, in all those decisions, I don't need God. I can, I'm smart. I can just do it on my own. John Mark Comer, when he talks about the world and this post-Christian society that we're in, he says this, every follower of Jesus in every culture has to constantly ask the question, in what ways have I been assimilated into the host culture? Where have I drifted from my identity and inheritance? And I think this is something we don't, we don't do very well. We don't evaluate and assess how the world is impacting me. It's easy for me to assess the world and how they're wrong or maybe another follower of Jesus and how that person is wrong, but it's a whole lot harder for me to look at me and go, you know what, I'm, I'm impacted right now by the devil and his lies and deception in this area more than I am by the Spirit of God. Paul in Ephesians 2 talks about these three areas. Um, he says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, here you have that, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's the devil, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. There's... It's, that's disobedient. That's even us. When we don't follow Jesus, that's the devil at work. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, there it is, and following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. 
Um, this, this whole thing about uh, the great deception, as we wrap this up today, uh, I, I want us to talk about can we change our world? We're in a post-Christian society. It looks pretty hopeless. Can we change our world? Well, the short answer is yes. All right, so we can all be dismissed. Go home, I've answered the question. Uh, but I won't let you out. If the answer is yes, then the next question should be, how can we change our world? Well, as I was thinking about today, I thought of four ways that we can change our world. Uh, the first way is this. Seek or desire the things of God. I, I know this is nothing new, nothing shattering. It's not life-changing, although it is life-changing. But um, seek, desire the things of God. I mean, I, again, I know it may seem like not that big of a deal, but, but it is. I mean, Jesus addressed this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, don't worry about your life, about what you wear and what you eat and all that kind of stuff. Don't worry about the appetites of your flesh and all that kind of stuff. God takes care of the birds. He takes care of the flowers. He takes care of everything. And then Jesus says something a little crazy. If God can take care of all these things, will he not take care of you? And then he follows up that question with this. If you worry, you are a person of little faith. I mean, think about that. I mean, we want a people of great faith, and, and we think of great faith as, you know, you got to have faith for miracles, you got to have faith for whatever, it's big. And at the same time, if you worry, Jesus says you are of little faith. In other words, um, if you see somebody running around <laughs> frantic and worrying about life, um, it's a faith problem. But if you see somebody who's content and seem to be at peace, oh, no, there's a giant in the faith right there. And there's some of you in this room. I know you. I see you. I see how you just walk around with this contentment. And, and it's just like, whoa. And then uh, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 32, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, For the pagans, which is another word for Gentiles, run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, seek first the kingdom. You want to change the world? Seek first the kingdom of God. Paul puts it this way in Colossians 3. He says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Seek the kingdom of God, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear in glory. So set your heart 
and your mind on things above where Christ is. See that at the right hand of God. That, that's seeking the kingdom of God. It's thinking about God. It's putting your thoughts there and your desires there. My desire and my thoughts are for you, Jesus, for you and your kingdom. This world has nothing that I could really, really want. Yes, I wrestle with the desires and the want, but in comparison with you, Jesus, and your kingdom, I'm, I'm going there. I change my world when I seek first the kingdom of God. Paul says more about this in other areas. Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That Change your world, renew your mind, change the way you think. Focus on Christ. 2 Corinthians, he says, take captive every thought and make it obedient to God. In Galatians, he says, it's walking by the Spirit, not by the flesh. This is, this is all the same idea that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of God. So how do we do that? Spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices as some people talk about. Um, John Mark Homer talks about spiritual disciplines are spiritual warfare. If you're in a spiritual battle, do the spiritual disciplines like silence, solitude. That's a little hard. Listening. Sabbath. Rest. Reading your Bible. Journaling. It's, it's all about worry and having our mind and heart on things of this earth. It's all about getting caught up in this. So the way to get out of getting caught up in this is step out of that, get alone, and in silence and solitude, in rest, meditate on God's Word. Ooh. And then you just let it go. Seek first the kingdom of God. The second way we can change our world is this. Destroy the things of the flesh. That sounds pretty brutal. But let's continue on in Colossians 3 with verse 5. Paul says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Greed is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. This, um, this is the lust of the flesh and the lust of eyes, our appetites and greed. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. So put those things to death. Now get rid of this stuff. L listen to this list. Anger, rage, malice, malicious behavior, slander, filthy language on your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. This, this last part might be the harder part. Anger and lying or 
division and slander. I mean, it's what we do really well in America here today. We are, it's divisive and the church is just as bad as the world out there. This is one of those places where the world has had an impact on the church because we walk in divisiveness and slander. And if somebody doesn't believe exactly the way I believe or they do something that hurts me, well then, yeah, I'm going to say a few things. Or I'm going to get on social media and say some things. Hmm. So put to death. Destroy the things of the flesh. It's, it, it's one thing to seek the things of God, yes. But then if there's, if, if there's anything in you that's of the flesh, then get rid of it right now. Don't waste time. Just get it. Get it out. The third way we can change the world is this. Let Christ rule. Oh, man. None of this is fun. Right? This is about surrender. This is about not just seeking the things of God and putting this stuff to death. Then it's about, here's my life, I give it to you. Whatever you have for me, I am yours. I love what Paul continues on in this Colossians 3, starting in verse 12. I love this, this, the language that he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, dearly beloved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Do you, do you see that? Clothe yourself, put it on. Okay? Compassion, you got, you got to put that on. It, it's Get in the morning. It, maybe you make a list of these things and put it on your mirror or wherever you're dressing and as you're getting dressed, okay, Jesus, today I'm going to clothe myself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. What? i got to put on forgiveness. That, that person at work or maybe my spouse who keeps hurting me, i I got to forgive them like Jesus. For, woo! That, that's, that's a lot right there. I don't, I'm not sure if I can do that. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is... You know, the great command, love God and love others. It's all about love. Uh, Jesus said the the greatest commandments is love, love God and others. Um, Sometimes we are out to judge somebody. And the example that binds all this stuff together is love. How do we love people? And then let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And this is why I said that the... The, this next one was let Christ rule. Is let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Let, let that have the predominant place. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Gratitude. This is huge. Um, there's always something to be thankful for. If you're in the dumps about something... 
Um, if you're having a bad day, start listing everything that you are blessed by. Start, God, thank you for this. God, thank you for that. God, you have blessed me. Gratitude, it changes your heart. So and be thankful. And Paul mentions gratitude again. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, and whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Again, it's gratitude and clothing yourself. Put this stuff on. Put to death all that flesh and world. Put it to death, get rid of it, and then put on this. This is a daily habit. This is what I think Jesus meant by pick up your cross and follow him. When I pick my cross up and follow him, I'm, I'm going to let go of all the flesh stuff. And I'm going to pick up forgiveness and compassion and kindness and love. And today I'm choosing to walk this way. How do we do all these things? Again, spiritual practices or disciplines with like destroying the flesh, the things of the flesh, putting to death. That's really about examination and confession. You know, Psalms 139, uh, search me, O God. It's, it's doing that on a daily basis. Search me, O God. Show me today if there's any wicked way in me and getting that out and confessing it. God, forgive me for the way I treated Terry today. Or forgive me for how I responded to this person today. It's practices for letting Christ rule and putting on kindness and generosity. It's practicing gratitude. It's practicing generosity. It's practicing serving. It's practicing hospitality. It's choosing that way of life. And here's the great thing, is you reap what you sow. So if I sow the flesh and the things of the flesh, that's what I'm going to get. If I sow lying and slander and malicious behavior and coarse talk, I'm I'm going to receive that back. It's going to come back at me. But if I choose being a servant and gratitude and showing love, and forgiving, and putting others first, I'm, I'm going to see it back. It's going to come back. The fourth thing is this, be in community. You and I, we can't do this alone. We're not meant to do this alone. One of the devil's strategies is to isolate us, get us off by ourselves. But when we are in community with other believers, we are able to discern Jesus' truth from the devil's lies. Because the devil knows how to deceive me. He does. He's got me down. I need somebody else to open my eyes to show me the area that I'm being deceived in. I, I need Terry. I need you to help me in this process of becoming who God has called me to be. In deep community, in deep relationships, we are able to share the things that we struggle with. And 
I, I just want us to point out uh, all four of these things, the way we change our world, has nothing to do with the world. It has everything to do with me. If I'm not changing and becoming more like Christ, I will not have an impact on the world out there. It starts here. Acts 2, 42 through 47, familiar passage. Listen to the words of community here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. They did that together, to prayer. That was all, they did that all together in community. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. You hear the community words there. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Community. You and I need to be in community. The early church understood that. Our culture has made it harder because we're so individualistic. But that doesn't mean we can't change. It just means we have to be intentional. Now, I do have one more way that we can change the world. I know I said four, and this is the fifth one. But I did this on purpose. The fifth way to change the world is to be in the world. Now, the reason why I did this on purpose is that many times we as followers of Jesus, and many times we as a church, we forget this one. Now, this isn't about being of the world, because we're not to be of the world, but we are to be in the world. We are to engage that world out there. Whatever you call making disciples, that's what we are called to do. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus hung out with the sinners. Yes, he had time with his disciples, and he equipped them and trained them and taught them. But often, on a regular basis, they hung out with the sinners. Being a part of the kingdom of God means that we need to intentionally follow the example of Jesus and engage the unchurched world. The Great Commission, which we know, says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the earth, of the age. The command is to make disciples. That's the command. That's what we're supposed to do. How we make disciples is by going, baptizing, and teaching. Now, for the early church, you didn't baptize until a person repented. And how did they repent? They repented because they heard the gospel. Somebody told them the gospel. So, my understanding of this is that making disciples begins when I go into the world and speak to somebody who doesn't know Jesus. That's where making disciples begins. It 
doesn't begin with just believers in this building or any other building. It, the disciple-making process begins out there, proclaiming the good news. Somebody repents, you baptize them, and then you teach them. That go, baptize, teach. You see, sometimes we, we think of making disciples as being just what are we going to do with the Christians? How are we going to equip the Christians? And that's part of it, but it's just a part of it. We need to commit to being intentional about engaging the unchurched world. So, how do we change the world? We change the world by, as we said earlier here, whoops, I just lost my control. Um, I got it back, thanks. We change the world by this, by one, me seeking, desiring the things of Christ. Two, by me destroying the things of the flesh in my life. Three, by me letting Christ peace rule in my life. Four, by being in community. And five, by intentionally engaging the unchurched world. If we miss out on any of one of those things, we are not going to be able to do it completely. And we won't be able to impact the world if I'm not doing the other four things above. In April, we're going to do a short series on called The Dust of the Rabbi. There's this idiom that Jewish uh, people used to say, and it says, may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. And so if we are going to be followers of Jesus, if he is our rabbi, and one of the desires is for the dust of Jesus to be on us, to us to be like Jesus, we need to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So in April, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What are the costs and what are the benefits of being a follower of Jesus? In May, we're going to look specifically at some of the spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices, and we're going to give our, each, uh, us tools to help us do these spiritual practices. Because if part of seeking and desiring the things of Christ and destroying things of the flesh, if spiritual practices are part of that, then that needs to be a part of my life. And that involves not just generosity, it involves silence and solitude and reading the Bible, prayer, all those kind of things. And so we're going to be talking about those kind of things because we live in an un-post-Christian society. And I think that as time goes on, it is going to be harder for us as followers of Jesus to be in the world without being persecuted in some way. And so if that's the case, then I need to grow in my relationship with Jesus. And spiritual practices are part of that in community. So let us commit together as a church To be covered with the dust of our rabbi, Jesus.
Let's pray. Mm, thank you, Jesus, for uh, coming into this earth and modeling for us how we follow after you. I pray, Father, that you would just um, stir us on, spur us on to, to become like you, to become followers of you, to get close enough to you that your dust isn't on us. I pray that we as a church would be a body of believers that is making disciples, that we are going into all the world and making disciples. And I pray that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.